Hey everyone, I'm Callie Sorensen, and welcome to my podcast, where we explore different perspectives and dive into our life experiences to uncover new ideas and insights. Through these conversations, we hope to educate, empower, and inspire one another to expand our minds, open our hearts, and have a deeper understanding of ourselves, others, and the world we live in. Thank you for joining us on this journey of discovery, growth, and learning. And may we find practical solutions to life's complex challenges. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. I am so thrilled to have Carla as my guest. She's a colleague of mine in the field of trauma and narcissistic abuse recovery. Carla spent most of her adult life as a psychologist before realizing that she had unresolved trauma resulting from narcissistic abuse. And then as she became a mother, Carla began breaking the cycle of intergenerational trauma without even realizing it at the time. Years later, Carla embarked on her own somatic inner healing journey and specialized in narcissistic abuse and intergenerational trauma healing. It was during this time that she discovered how toxic and dysfunctional family patterns are subconsciously passed down through generations, leading to incredibly damaging impacts on families. And in some cases, these patterns can even resemble those of a cult. So maybe before we dive in, for those who are listening and aren't really familiar with these terms, do you want to first help explain what is trauma? I think this word is kind of thrown around a lot lately, and some people might not even know what is trauma or maybe not even know that they have it or how do they know if they have it. So do you want to explain what is trauma? I agree with you. There's lots of misconceptions around this word. It's great to have an opportunity to bring clarity to it because it's important, right? A lot of people don't think they have suffered with trauma or have any trauma. I've heard that a lot when I when I say who I am and what I do. I don't have any trauma, <laughs> um, and that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's not true. We all have trauma because trauma is not a big severe event. It's those things as well, but it can be lots of little insignificant looking events that get that are very stressful. And for whatever reason, our nervous system in the moment that an event happens can't cope, can't deal with it. And it's actually not the event per se that's the trauma. It's our perception and our negative beliefs that we tell ourselves, you know, what we end up saying to ourselves about ourselves around that story. Okay, so as children, if your parents are really, really busy and they come home and you're playing, you're being loud, you're singing, dancing, and they tell you off, as a child, you might have a stuck trauma that I'm not lovable when I'm myself. And that gets stuck literally in your subconscious as a blueprint of, you know, I must not be myself. So you learn very early on that you're not to be you because it's not safe. It's not, you know, you might right. become unlucky. And then that gets carried on throughout your whole life, right? And Absolutely. you start replaying yeah. that. Yeah, that's, that's the basically the beginning of a core inner wound. And I think for me personally, yeah, I never allowed myself to even come to terms that I had trauma. Mm-hmm. because again, I think a lot in the field, they, they talk about these big T traumas and little T traumas. And I was like, well, I don't have a big T trauma. Like my parents weren't physically or sexually abusive to me, or I wasn't in a war, you know? And I think with all these terms being thrown around of privilege, right? It was like, well, who am I to say that I'm traumatized because I have food on the table. I have a roof over my head. I grew up in like a middle-class family. Both my parents were teachers. I was provided for So I quote unquote should be okay. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things is when we put this pressure and this expectation to like not be traumatized. But I like what you said that even these 
and I'm putting it in quotes, little things can be massive and can be detrimental. Like I remember even one of my first memories was my mom stayed home with me. She took time off of work as a teacher to to raise me. And then she had to go back to work, right? Like she had to go and make money. And, and, but for me as a child, my perception was she doesn't love me. And I remember her dropping me off at daycare and then leaving. And I felt so abandoned. I just remember crying and crying and crying and crying and crying to that little Callie at that time. Like it seemed like the most devastating thing of like, I'm not important. I'm not lovable. And that can leave, like you said, that core wound that then is carried out throughout your life. Even though now as an adult, it's like, oh, well, I can make sense. Like my mom loved me and she was just going to work. Like she was going to work to put food on the table to provide for me. It had nothing to do with me, but I took it personally at the time and how much these little traumas can leave such a devastating impact on our bodies, on our being, and and then impact our relationships too. Yeah, absolutely. Because they are carried within our subconscious as a blueprint of who we actually are. I'm not lovable. And that's why it's so easy. And why I say all of us have experienced trauma. Okay. Because as a child, when you don't have that rational part of the brain developed yet, we are all looking at the world and everything that happens as a reflection of who we are. And that's when it starts. Okay. And then as adults, we carry on. So if you've got a not good enough wound, you know, my mom went back to work because I wasn't good enough. I had to stay at home. And then, you know, you apply for a job and you don't get it, but your colleague gets it in adult life. Oh, there it is again. Oh, I wasn't good enough. You know, Uh, it's basically whenever the brain, instead of saying it happened to me, it says it happened because of me. That's trauma. And it's like any stressful event. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong with me? And it's, that's the trauma right? It's that psychic wound that is inside Mm -hmm. of you telling you something negative about yourself, which is not true because we're all born more than good enough, lovable, important, and we all matter. But we learn that we, in in young life, especially, we learn the opposite. We learn that it's not safe to be us. And then in adulthood, we kind of perpetuate that. And, you know, the more stuck trauma we have in our bodies, because that's where trauma actually gets stuck. Unprocessed trauma is just literally excess stress hormones that the body produces when we are in a stressful you know situation that we can't process because maybe either we're very young children and we don't have you know the ability to do that at that time and we don't have a person that we can explore that with and process that with or we're adults and our nervous system capacity is already full and so anything stressful can get stuck as trauma and it literally gets stuck in our body where you know we carry it in our fascia that fiber that holds all our organs and yeah. wraps around all our muscles and we get stressed and it's like a snowball effect you know the more unprocessed trauma there is the more challenges become stuck trauma because it's kind of like it's filling up your mm-hmm. nervous system capacity constantly and it's like then a- anything can become trauma it's like oh you know like I said earlier I didn't get this job and people or or maybe you lose a job and you end up stuck in depression and you know feeling like you're unworthy And I like that you brought in that piece about our fascia and how it gets stuck in the body. It's like the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk, right? right? (laughs) Like it's actually in our body. A lot of the clients who've come to me have come to me after going through talk therapy or CBT or these other therapies. And, you know, they can help to a certain extent and they're very useful. But at the same time, we have to address it on that somatic body level Mm -hmm. to actually address and heal these core wounds for, you know, whatever happened in our life, we can know on a cognitive level that it's quote unquote, okay. But then our body is telling us otherwise, right? And that's why you can't run from that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That's why, you know, as a 
talking therapist for many, many years, I used to get very frustrated because I used to get clients come back and I had a not good enough wound. I didn't know that at the time. I know that now. And I used to think, oh, you know, they've come back. That means I'm not good enough because I haven't actually fully helped them mm-hmm. because they might come back with a different problem. But I knew the root cause was the same, but I just didn't know how to resolve it because I wasn't working in the body. I wasn't working on the subcortical parts of the brain like I am now as a somatic therapist, because I didn't know, I'd never been taught that actually trauma is an embodied experience and talking therapy is about the prefrontal rational part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. So you're literally just kind of missing <laughs> where the trauma is and you cannot resolve it just by thinking or talking about it. Yeah. You know, you, yes, like you said, yeah. it has a place, talking therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy and all those things are really, really helpful in terms of symptoms management, but they're more so once the root cause resolution has been, you know, healed, <laughs> then you can right. work your mindset. Yeah. And that was huge for me because I think it took off all this pressure of, oh my God, I thought something was wrong with me. Like, why is nothing working? Why have I been to all these therapists or psychologists and nothing seems to be working? And then when I learned about somatic work, it's like, oh my God, oh, it was my body. It was my nervous system. We're not really taught how important the somatic work is for everything. Absolutely. And that's why this podcast and other podcasts are so important to share this information and educate people that, you know, if you feel a certain way, you have a right to feel that way. Okay. Because maybe there's something going on in your nervous system that you might not be aware of, but it's happening outside of your control. I spent years going into bouts of depression and feeling really ashamed because, you know, especially as a psychologist, I I should be better, right? I should know what to do. I shouldn't feel like this. I felt like an imposter in my work because I was teaching other people to do what I still couldn't do for myself at some, you know, in some stages of my life. And, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, it was painful, really, really was. So it was really mind-blowing to discover and learn about the nervous system, learn about trauma and how narcissistic abuse affects the nervous system. And I was just, and actually for, for the first part of our training, I was very angry <laughs> that, you know, I'd been through so much continued professional development and never, I mean, my, my knowledge of the nervous system was That's so basic, crazy. right? And we get taught in schools about the reproductive system, but forget the brain. And even people that work on mental health, they don't know enough. I mean, I get now, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists, dm me going oh thank you so much if i've answered one of their comments about the nervous system they're like oh wow i didn't know this and then they remove their comment because it's like oh it's embarrassing i'm a psychiatrist and it's not their fault you know but it is crazy it's insanity that we aren't aware Mm -hmm. of this right and learning about the polyvagal nervous system or just how we have to you know in, in herman's book trauma and recovery she talks about this the stages of recovery and number one is that safety and that stabilization And for me, it was like, oh my God, no wonder why I could never heal through my anxiety and all of that because I hadn't stabilized myself and created a safe base for my nervous system to relax, to actually heal on a deeper somatic level. I was doing it all cognitively and that's how I got into the cult because the spiritual cult that I got a part of was all about empowerment. You know, change your thoughts, change your life and all of these empowerment techniques that were just completely bypassing the trauma, completely Mm -hmm. bypassing the pain and saying that you're not your body, you're not your emotions, you're not your thoughts, you're not all of these things. And I was like, no wonder why then my symptoms of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, all of it got extremely worse because my body was screaming out, like, can you just hold me? Can you just be with me? But then everyone else can seemingly be okay, right? But they've got this empowered mask and not actually facing the underlying core trauma because, again, it's not their fault. Our whole system is working to protect us from that perceived danger. 
And so it's hard to slow down and actually face and process these traumas on a deep level. Yeah, absolutely. Because when your version of normal is being activated and being in fight, flight energy or you know, shut down, because that's what your coping mechanism is, as you, you know, that's what you learned. It's, it, it doesn't feel safe to feel safe. So it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy and it's, it's painful, right? And it brings so much shame. I did the same. I spent thousands and thousands on doing mindset work, personal development, professional yeah. development, trying to constantly fix myself. And it worked for a little while, temporarily. And then it didn't again because the core stuff was still yeah. there. The, the root cause was still there. And it's like a band-aid solution. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And it makes you feel so ashamed. You know, all the you can do affirmation until you're dead. <laughs> okay. You can tell yourself in the mirror, I am good enough. I'm lovable. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm loving. I'm powerful. Yeah, and you're right? No, you're not. No, no, you're not. So you feel like, you, you know, this is cognitive dissonance, right? It's like internal conflict constantly. And it, it just perpetuates that feeling of, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And, you know, feeling like filling out gratitude journals and kind of thinking about gratitude rather than feeling gratitude and doing the abundance challenges and thinking I'm a fraud. because I'm really, I'm doing all the things, but I really am not feeling all the things, you know, and that's the difference. It's like, you know, we have a part of the brain is, is about cognition. The I am part of the brain and there's, there's a part of the brain that is so essential to work on is the feeling part of the brain. Those subcortical parts of the brain that literally drive us in our adult behaviors. And we, we don't have control over because they're happening in the autonomic part of the nervous system. Right. So it's like breathing or, you know, your heart beating, you know, it's not like you have to think breathe in, breathe out. It's exactly the same. So when people then don't understand this information and you're depressed and you feel ashamed because you should be able to snap out of it, you know, whether you're a psychologist or not, but you know, imagine, you know, <laughs> in my shoes, it was just like, oh, why am I feeling like this? How can I help myself? How come I don't know? Why do I keep returning to this cycle? It's, it's really, really frustrating as well. And it's life limiting. It really is. You know, all of us deserve to thrive and live in abundance because it's available to all of us. But it's only now that I truly understand what that actually means. I heard that a lot of the time. And I used to yeah. think deep down inside, yeah, for you, maybe, but not for me. <laughs> So what was that big wake up point then for you to realize this? I mean, after being a psychologist for so long, you said you had a child and that kind of started it or what was the turning point for you to realize that this was happening? So there were, there were lots of different little starting points. The most powerful starting point of my actual healing was an accident. (laughs) After COVID, I had a different business and that closed down and I was offered a contract to go back as a therapist to support other women that had been through narcissistic abuse. And I said, yes, I started the the contract. And as I read through all these stories and, you know, supported all these women, I started to really kind of figure out that even though they were different from mine, I could resonate with a lot of them. And as I did, and the more I supported, Mm -hmm. the more I felt I was going into a deep, deep, deep dark night of the soul (laughs) to the point where I was literally stuck frozen. I couldn't, I just couldn't do the job anymore. And that's when I reached out to the therapist who I was supporting and said, I think I might have trauma. I'm not quite sure. I think I might have gone through narcissistic abuse, but I even felt ashamed thinking that. I actually felt ashamed thinking that. Because, you know, I had a happy childhood. It's not what happened to me. No, I don't have a, like you were saying, you know, it felt like everyone else has got it so much worse. So what I ever got to complain about? It wasn't that bad. 
That led me to going on to my own inner healing journey and then training and specializing in this area. And the rest is history. But before that, with regards to intergenerational trauma, although I didn't know it, I started to break it because I became a mother. And having been a people pleaser my whole life, a codependent people pleaser, a very, very highly codependent people pleaser, because that's what I had to become to survive my environment, to feel safe. I couldn't do that anymore because I did not want my children to go through what I did. And so I started setting boundaries. And in doing so, that started to really break into generational traumas where I'd actually been told, you know, the world is a wheel. You know, what happened to me will happen to you. (laughs) This was the culture that I, um, you know, that's, that's all I knew. You know, you had to be subservient and you had to be, you know, a certain way. You had to fit in your box. Because although no one ever told me, I knew ever since I was very young, I I knew inherently that you either agree or you're out. And that's why when talking to you and listening to your story about Colt, I suddenly thought, oh, my goodness. It's, you know, it's it's because, you know, the similarity is that there is a a narcissistic leader at the top, right? A toxic, dysfunctional person, Mm -hmm. a very wounded person that is controlling, manipulative and there is always a lineage when whenever there's a person that is so dysfunctional there's always a lineage that goes back many many generations and unless the cycle is broken it can be passed down and my experience was that as well you know I was you know in some behaviors very highly narcissistic myself in my young adulthood I really really was because that's what you know as children we just learn by mirroring what we've been exposed to right so you know, and to keep safe, I had to do certain things so that I would be liked and loved and nurtured and, you know, kept within. And it wasn't safe for me to do otherwise. But I remember, and now I understand it, that I didn't then. I remember in some of my behaviors that were less than nice, they're not things that I'm proud of, I would immediately feel this terrible inner pain, this gust of myself, because it just didn't fit with my true mm-hmm. self. I was kind of doing what I had to do, right. what I thought I needed to do. and To survive. <laughs> yeah, and the only thing I knew how to do, I didn't know anything else. And then, you know, I would I would eventually, after maybe years, I would repair, intentionally repair certain relationships and feel guilt because <gasps> I was going against the kind of, you know, the leader. <laughs> it took a long time totally. and it was very, very scary. That's why it's very, very similar to... You know, and they do very similar things. They kind of build an army. If you dare to put a boundary in, they they will kind of try and ostracize you from everywhere. They're very manipulative. And it starts, I was thinking about it before coming on uh, to chat to you, and it, lots of little memories started coming up for me. And it's, it starts really small. I mean, the silent treatment is one very easy one to do with your children, right? You know, you withdraw the affection. And as a yeah. child, you need a roof. You need someone to nur- you know, nurture you so you can actually survive. And lots of bullying tactics, you know, emotional bullying tactics, not directly to me, but witnessing physical violence, which is also very scary. So you try to not get into that position by mechanisms. So that's, you know, what leads you to becoming maybe a a codependent people pleaser. Yes. You know, those little toy dogs that that have the head that just bobs up and down. That's that's how I was. Even though internally Uh inside, I I had my own opinions. And actually, for a long time, I wondered whether I'd been adopted (laughs) up to age 18. I used wow. to think, what's wrong with me? Because I'm so different. I would hear opinions and I would think, my opinion of that person or this situation is completely the opposite. So there must be something wrong with me, right? Because maybe I'm not 
from this family. Maybe, you know, I mean, I looked like them, but I really felt like an alien. But yet I would right. agree and smile because, you know, even though I'd never been told you must agree, I knew I had to agree because I'd watched people being cut off when they didn't. I watched a lot of judgment mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be that person. I needed a roof. I needed love like every child does, you know, and yeah. It's right. really what sad. other choice do you have but to comply? Right. Yeah, because it's so easy to indoctrinate your right. children. It's the easiest form of abuse, right? You just, and it's intergenerational because when I look back down the generations, I think, oh, wow, I see the patterns repeating, you know, from one generation to the next. And then in my own parenting, I've had behaviors that I've thought, you know, and we all have, who hasn't, as a a parent, I think most of us have thought, oh God, I I really sounded like my mother or my father then. And it's not always bad, right? But um, if you don't bring (laughs) awareness to it, it's so easy to just pass it down. And epigenetics research also actually tells us that it's embedded in our genes for up to seven generations, right? Because that's what what the brain does. It repeats patterns. It's a computer, right? It's like whatever feels familiar to the brain, whatever it knows, it repeats. You know, that's why women who are in domestically abusive relationships, they're not stupid or weak. They stay or go back because that feels safer to the brain than going without, okay? So, you know, and, and for a child that's been brought up in a toxic, dysfunctional family environment, they really don't have a choice, you know. And as a result, that impacts lots of areas of your life, not just intimate relationships, but friendships too. I've attracted lots of narcissistic or toxic friendships by the very nature of me being a people pleaser and overgiver. The other side of the of the spectrum is that you attract takers, right? Um, and it just kind of perpetuates that your version of normality of yeah. familiarity which is where the brain wants you to stay because you know, familiarity is safe, even if it's unhealthy. Yeah. And it's just what you've always known. I don't think we as a society actually understand just how influenced we are by one another and especially mm-hmm. our families. I mean, that's who you spend the core of your, those, you know, just your entire life, like growing up, right? Those formative years you spend around those people and you pick up on those habits. And I mean, you hear time and time again, right? I will never be like my mother. I will never be like my father. If you grew up in an abusive household and then they have a child and then what happens? They're like, damn it. I'm the same as my mom or I'm the same as my dad. Really, I think also shows that even when your intention is to change, the thought isn't enough. The cognitive understanding isn't enough because, I mean, it helps. And that's definitely one of the most important steps I say is to just become aware. And that's what I do with my clients as well is do like a family tree or geneogram of what were the traumas that maybe my parents had? What were the traumas that my grandparents had on both sides and their grandparents? You know, like my family was in poverty. My grandma grew up in the Ozarks and, you know, it was like, why am I so scared of money? There's always a severe core fear of money and abandonment. And it was like when I started to lay out my family tree and see where they came from and see how they were affected by the war and depression yeah, and all of that, it was like, oh my, and learning about epigenetics on how this stuff is passed down generation to generation. There's some amazing research that's been done of Holocaust survivors and their children. And they've never even been in the Holocaust, but their children and grandchildren are having severe anxiety and depression because it's been, oh, I got chills. Like, you know, it's been passed down. (laughs) But we think, or like racism and slavery and all of these things. We're like, oh, well, now you have equal rights. So get over it. And it's like, 
you guys don't understand how deeply embedded this is and how much compassion and awareness is needed for everybody. Even if you're being treated equally, your body might still feel that it's not being treated equally, maybe because of what you've witnessed your parents or grandparents you know, being discriminated or maybe your grandparents, great grandparents were slaves and that has been passed down and the body keeps the score. The body remembers this stuff. And yeah. until we actually slow down to feel and process it, man, these patterns can continue. But again, you can have that cognitive, like, nope, doesn't bother me. Like I'm empowered. I'm good. I'm equal. Like, you yeah. know, and that's what I see a lot of people trying to do and it can work for some time, but then at least what I've noticed with a lot of people and myself included, it comes to a point where it doesn't work anymore. Our body, it holds everything. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with you that it does need a lot of compassion and understanding. And that's why we look at, you know, genograms and in intergenerational trauma patterns, because this is not about, you know, pointing the finger and blaming your parents or your grandparents or anything like that. It's about understanding, right. so you can understand yourself more to understand why you show up as the adult you are, because trauma doesn't have to be experienced directly. It can be the stories you hear, like your money story, right? We all grow up with these kind of stories that affect our perceptions. And our perceptions are so subjective because of the environment that we've grown up with, because of how our brain perceives things. And unless we bring consciousness to our internal invisible world, like you say, the body's driving. You have a prefrontal cortex, but you know we're not always there. Well, why is that? Because when the nervous system kicks in because it's perceiving some danger, something that reminded you of something that's already stuck as trauma in your body, it will just react in less than a split second and you don't have agency over, you know, and, and then that brings shame because you're like, oh, I shouldn't have been angry like that. I know better than that. And it's like, again, perpetuates yeah. it goes into this cycle of constant, you know, shaming yourself. And then you have these voices that tell you you're a bad person. It just, you know, it takes intentionality to make long-term yeah. lasting changes and to actually it sounds ironic really but to come back to your true self to the nature of you which is right. that you are loving you are compassionate you are joyful and abundant in every single way because it's just basically life that changes us you know and I feel that a lot of the clients, when they come to me, they feel scared to open that Pandora box of trauma. What will I remember? What will I find? <gasps> you know, and will um, I get worse? Like, I, yeah. it's better to just keep it shut. And it is. It's painful, right? It's, you, you know, your brain diminishes and like blocks memories for a reason because it doesn't want you to feel pain. Pain to the brain equals death or life threat. And so to then go and intentionally do this in a work, it takes a lot of vulnerability, and that equals courage and it's not easy to do, but it's so worth it. And it's not like you heal and then you're like living in fairyland and you're always happy. I wish. Um, right. you know, challenges always happen. <laughs> Don't right? believe that because that's what got me into the cult. They right, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> These leaders are like, oh, I promise there is a fairyland. It's going to be all magic roses, yeah. butterflies and unicorns. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> be careful of that golden ticket. <laughs> it is an ongoing yeah, journey. Like and I think learning about this intergenerational it's not only mine i'm healing generations of of trauma yeah. as well and then you look at not only my family generations right cultural societal you know our each country's trauma like there's so much that is there and i think that's why people kind of get overwhelmed or afraid to open it but what i love about this work and working with people too is 
the beauty and the intelligence of our systems once we learn to trust that. Um, and I think we're more resilient than we can even imagine, right? Like, that's why I love hearing these stories of Holocaust survivors or people who've been through insane amounts of trauma and to hear them and just see their resilience. It's like, wow, like I'm blown away by us humans too, in the same sense of just how resilient we are. And that's also something that I've seen in the trauma field that I don't necessarily agree with. And I see where they're coming from and it's coming from a nice place, but we treat each other sometimes as like these delicate little flowers are going to break if you say, do the wrong thing. Like, you know, and it's like trying to control and maintain and keep people within this window of tolerance and you can't let them like get out or like, there's just a lot of fear. And again, it's coming from, I think, a space of wanting to help them. But I don't know, for me, what was really beautiful with the person who helped me on my recovery journey is he just like, let me, he trusted my nervous system and he trusted my body and processing. And it really accelerated the process because I was able to feel so deeply and almost open that box and allow my system to process it at its own speed, which was very different to how other do it, you know, and how we're also different are going to need different speeds or paces or things like that. Like there is no one size fits all golden ticket that we can give in trauma healing. Like each client, even we have to approach so differently based on their past and where they are and what they need in the moment. And that's going to also change moment to moment, moment to moment, right? Like you can't do a one size fits all. What you made me think of actually while you were speaking is that um, I, I read a really, really great analogy in a book that I'm reading at the moment by Ruth Childs. It's called The Focal Dystonia Cure, which is something that, you know, performers and performers oh, yeah. or sportsmen and musicians can uh, be affected by. And it's all trauma related. And um, an analogy that she makes, she talks about this disconnect that trauma creates between our cognitive brain and our feeling brain, right, where we don't know what we're feeling anymore we're just literally disconnected and it's like she said it's like being in a relationship with someone that you have loved so much and they've loved you and then all of a sudden you just don't hear them anymore they don't hear you and there's like a total kind of disconnect right between your physical body and your and your inside what's going in inside I think that's kind of the key because of trauma we end up not knowing who we are anymore and there's like a, a massive disconnect right. and we end up kind of existing like, rather than living and because we don't know that we've had trauma and we're suffering with kind of unresolved stuff, we're just kind of like a leaf in the wind. We kind of like go from side to side in our life and we just like, you know, think that this is living, this is not living. And it's only by doing this kind of deep inner work that you really get to come back to who you you were born as and who you're meant to be in this world because we're all so unique and Unfortunately, when we have been through narcissistic abuse, we are molded to be someone who we're not, you know. And so it's like mm-hmm. kind of doing the work of peeling the layers back to see who we actually are. And kind of like what you said before, you know, when I was in the cult, I was becoming narcissistic because I was mirroring the leader. And I was like, mm-hmm. I lost my sense of self. I was like, wait, I don't even know my values. I don't know who I am. I don't even know what's important to me. Because again, I was in a survival mode and I completely lost my sense of self and then became narcissistic myself because I was mirroring the people that were around me. We're so influenced by everyone. And it breaks my heart because I think that's what a lot of, at least I've seen narcissistic abuse survivors, one of their first questions is like, am I narcissistic? At some point, it's like we have to see, oh, yes, I was in, in some senses, right? We all have all of these traits within us, but it's not who we are ultimately. It was a coping mechanism or it was these things. and. 
You know, one other thing that kind of came up too, as, as you were sharing earlier was this, Oh my God, total brain fart. I was so excited. My mind went in like 10 different directions. I was like, I was telling a story, but I wasn't even present with my story because I was focusing on this. Other you story. To say. <laughs> Do you ever have that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was it's like, good. oh my God, I'm so excited about this topic. Maybe we need to record like 10 different mics and have 10 different <laughs> conversations at the yeah. same time. We need a mic for our head, just in our brain, you know, like that voice. <laughs> Seriously, but kind of something earlier that we talked about was I also want to kind of bring it in from the perspective of how intergenerational trauma can actually be used to coerce and abuse others or a justification for people's abuse. And I see this happen a lot. I could see when past people in my life were very coercive and abusive. But I gave them the benefit of the doubt because of their trauma, right? Oh, well, mm -hmm. they were traumatized as a little child. And I know my trauma, so I want to forgive their trauma and I want to be loving and compassionate. But then it just became this cycle that was so hard to break out of. One of my research papers is on sex and love addiction and coercion. Mm -hmm. And it was the same kind of thing of how people can coerce and sexually exploit people. Oh, but then they get to blame it on sex addiction. And it's so hard because so many different perspectives are true. Like, yes, there is some deep trauma there. And yes, there is maybe addiction, but it does not excuse the behavior and people need to be held accountable for their behavior. So I also want to bring this perspective into this talk as well, because I know there's so many different people on so many different parts of their journey listening in. And somebody could be like how we were, people pleasers and really compassionate, nurturing people. Maybe I'm going to be the one that changes them, or maybe I'm going to be the one that like, you know, supports them to heal through this intergenerational trauma that they're experiencing. Also be very careful of that. Are they taking accountability, responsibility for their actions and their behaviors? Are they truly taking those steps to change? And do you see those changes? Well, this is a whole nother topic. I just like yeah, I mean, opened up. Where you were talking, I kept thinking about, you know, what I always say with regards to parents, you know, to my adult clients who may have still difficult relationships with their parents. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, we can have compassion for their story and we can have understanding for their traumas that are unresolved and the fact that maybe they didn't have the opportunity. And, you know, some of this research is so, so new, right? Like, polyvagal theory 30 to 40 years you know they, they didn't know what they didn't know right and as, as we research the brain we get to know more and more information about you know how we operate as human beings but they were still parents and they had responsibilities to their children and mm -hmm. their parenting regardless of their intentions still affected you so it's having compassion for you know where the abusers came from but also having compassion for yourself it's not just one way because yes. otherwise we end up excusing the abuse, which has happened, you know, like you say, it happens a lot because there's that kind of drive to be nice, to be accepted and be loved and to take responsibilities that aren't yours as a codependent people pleaser who, you know, that's the result of the abuse, right? <laughs> so again, another cycle. And that dual responsibility, I feel, is everything. And that was monumental to my recovery journey as I had to take my responsibility of what happened and what drew me into these toxic dynamics, how I was a people pleaser and I didn't have a sense of self and I didn't have boundaries and all of these things. I had to integrate and take responsibility for that. But I also, and this was almost the harder part, <laughs> is to hold somebody else responsible for, for their part in it. Yeah. Because then you, you feel know? guilty, right? And, and I think that was massive. Like to <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. And isn't that crazy? And that's why they target people like us because we take everything within and we're forgiving and we're nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I and, you know, and, and, 
even in therapy, I felt guilty of sharing any issues around my upbringing because I thought, oh, you know, and then, and then as a codependent, you want people to think you're nice so that you're safe. And so I thought, oh, is the therapist going to think I'm a really, really horrible daughter or a really horrible person? Who says this about their parents? You know, it was my truth. It's what I'd lived through, you know, and for many, many years, I never shared with anybody, anybody, um, what I'd been through, what I'd been put through. And, you know, wow. I won't go into detail, but court cases, smear campaigns, you know, um, lies, ostracization. And I had no idea. I, I had no idea that that wasn't normal. I just thought it was my fault. And, you know, I've, I'd been told, you know, well, why can't you wow. manage it better? And then there's the societal aspect of like the shame on top of the shame, which is you're, you only have one parent. Oh, but it's your mom. Oh, but it's your dad. And then you're like, oh, it's all my fault. And you literally, it crushes you. It crushes, it cripples you. And it's something that takes a while to work through to speak about without shame because, you know, the difference between my story and an abuser's story is that mine is actually truth. <laughs> there is evidence. It's not just yeah. made up toxicity to smear someone. But that's their power, right? That's their power. They prey on people who are very, very nice and not weak, mm -hmm. actually strong, because it takes a huge amount of strength to go through abuse. And that's another thing that I always want people to understand that if you've been through abuse, you have that resilience that you were talking about earlier, Callie. There is an inner strength yeah. that has made you survive. So you can never think of yourself as a victim. You are a survivor. And as a survivor, you can totally heal and thrive after abuse, no matter what it was. No matter how big or how small you think it might have been, you know, you have a right to feel right. exactly what you feel and you have the opportunity to heal so that you can actually move past your past, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good segue. Maybe we can talk about, okay, well, now that we know that this intergenerational trauma exists and how it can be passed down generation to generation, how can we start to break these cycles? That's a big question. <laughs> How long have you got? Yeah. I think awareness, as I said earlier, my awareness came about by accident and I'm doing kind of speech marks with my fingers because I don't ever think it's really an accident. I think I'd been searching for quite a long time, but I'd just been searching for the wrong thing, which was what's wrong with me. <laughs> so I would really encourage everyone that feels that way to maybe look at it from a different perspective and just ask yourself what has happened to me. Um, because it just gives you a wider angle, right? And that's not to say that there's nothing to be changed about how you are showing up as in your life today. It's just less self-blame, which doesn't help healing anyway. And uh, I think with every change, you need to start with awareness. And if you don't have that awareness, and if you're telling yourself that nothing bad happened to you and I don't have any trauma, it's probably a part of you that's trying to protect you, actually. It's probably fear. And I would really encourage anyone that is on this journey of really wanting to break any pattern or cycle or behavior that you feel isn't healthy or that you don't like in your life yourself, reach out for help. <laughs> because this stuff is really, really yeah. tough. Even as a psychologist, I found it impossible literally to do by myself. Because, And that is also to do with our subconscious nervous system coping mechanism there are these coping mechanisms mm -hmm. that start once we have caught in a wounds from early in childhood that literally that are like stopping us from doing this work and no one likes to do this work because as we said before it can be triggering it can feel heavy but it can also be fun like now I look at this journey and I think gosh how lucky because I'm starting to experience 
me <laughs> in my life, present in my body, listening to my gut before people would ask me or I would tell people, you know, what does your gut say? And I'd be like, I have no idea. And so much shame, right? So you just make Aww. up an answer because you don't know yourself because you're blended with these protector parts. We know them as protector parts from an internal family systems perspective. They're sub-personalities. They're not you. So if you've ever described yourself as an angry person or you've ever thought, oh, I might be narcissistic or a narcissist or I'm abusive or, you, you know, aggressive or anything that, or a people pleaser, these are not who you are. These are just coping mechanisms of your nervous Parts system, your us. incredible brain that wanted to keep you alive, essentially, because it perceived that you being you was just not safe. And so you blended with these sub-personalities that then meant that you are not happy because there is this cognitive dissonance where your head's saying one thing, your body's saying another thing, and this is not life. So to start breaking yeah. this intergenerational trauma cycles, this, these patterns, it really just needs you to be accepting that there is actually nothing wrong with you. And you are a product of the environment that you were brought up in, the environment that you live in, and all of that you can bring control over and agency over when you start looking inside and asking why from a place of curiosity rather than judgment. So you know what's wrong with me. And I love that. Right. What happened to me? And when you have that, it's kind of like the backstory, understanding the backstory. And it's so complex and it's so diverse and you can take it in any which way that you want. And whether it be through journaling or doing family trees, like we said earlier, of like mapping out, you know, what happened to my parents, what happened to my grandparents and what's happened to the society, to the country as a whole, to start to journal and start to question and look at the history. I feel like this world and my life here, at least for me, is such a journey of self-discovery. Like, how can I understand myself on this deeper level? Because then that brings more awareness, more self-compassion. Yeah. And it just releases all that judgment. It's like, of course I had anxiety. Of course I felt like that. Of course I was suicidal. Like I was so cut off from my true self. I was so far removed and it's not my fault. And also I can change this. I also have the power and the resiliency to make changes and to move forward and choose a new way forward. And that's what I love, like all the science of neuroplasticity and how our brain works, that we're not set in these stone patterns. Like we can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like I don't care how <laughs> old you are, like you can learn new tricks. Like the brain is wired. You can change it. You can create new patterns and you can work with the body and the nervous system. I mean, it's phenomenal. In my recovery journey, when I was trying to break these cycles, when you're deep in it, it feels like you're never going to be able to change it. Yeah. It does feel like that. And that was a huge part of my journey is to almost face that part that's like, I will never, ever, ever change. And I'll be like this forever. And mm -hmm. when I really faced that and really felt like that was the truth, there, I think that also opened me up to like this Fuck it, energy in a sense. Like, okay, screw it. I might be traumatized and depressed and anxious my entire life, you know? But then from there, there was more of a relaxation into it and an acceptance of who I was. And then I think too, the more you heal your nervous system, like you said, then the prefrontal cortex can come on board and the more logical parts that can start to piece together the story or start to do the research. Because in the beginning, I just want to say for people who are in the beginning of their recovery journey, it's okay if you can't read or research or think about your past or journal or, or put together those pieces because first you need that foundation of safety for your nervous system to really begin to feel safe, to be able to heal so that your nervous system can then get these other parts of the brain on board. And like, you know, 
like we've learned too. Oh my God. I mean, so much happens to our brain. And I think just learning about that too can really help to break these cycles. Cause once we have that awareness, it's like, oh yeah, my amygdala, there's studies that show how it grows in size from trauma, right? And no wonder why I'm hypervigilant and it affects my middle ear. And that's why I'm so sensitive to sound or to light and all of these things. Like, oh my God, it's not my fault. And the more awareness I've had around how this works on a biological level and through epigenetics and all of this stuff, it's like, oh my God, this makes sense. It's almost like all these puzzle pieces of our background and our story come together and just, I don't know, it just gives me so much more compassion for myself, which then I think has also helped to then get, have more compassion for other human beings because we're all just doing the best that we can. Nobody really knows what the hell's going on. Like the, all this, like you said, this research is brand new. We still don't know. We might find out in another 10, 20 years, of, you know, something totally different, like, right? It's like everyone's just trying to scramble together and acting like they know what they're doing. None of us, I think, really actually know on a deep level. But it's like, that's the beauty of this journey, I think, is to actually say, I don't know, but let me discover who I am and let me look at my past and not land on anything too of like, this is it. And this is the answer. This is the reason that I, I'm like, you know, it's like, whoa, let me just keep discovering and keep diving in. And maybe it is, but what if it's not? And I think staying in that awe and wonder of that awareness and discovery can really help too. The tricky bit, I would say with that, with what you're describing there is that it's just like, be curious, right? Have curiosity. And I even yeah. mentioned that earlier. It's quite tricky. When you have all these wounds, it's quite tricky to do any of that, to be honest, because we're so blended with our parts, right? Exactly. So, yeah, because so that part of the... Exactly. Yeah. You can't. Like, yeah, look after yourself and you'll feel better. Well, if I don't feel worthy of anything, I'm not going to look after myself. Catch-22 situation. That's why I think for me, if you're going to take anything away from this episode today, is if you are looking to heal... Do your research as much as you can, because like Callie said, our brain changes physiologically with trauma. So we are, we then struggle to even focus on researching and actually reading or watching anything. Do what you can and find the person that can help you through this journey. We all need a safe person. We heal in co-regulation yes. with a safe person. And you'll know when it's the right person because you will feel attuned. And what that means is that it feels good. <laughs> That's all it means. It feels that you know, if, if there's any part of you of a person that you're looking to work with, whether it's a therapist, a friend, whoever might be able to help you through this journey and walk by your side through this journey. If there's any part of you that doesn't feel quite right anywhere, then it's not right. Listen to that. OK, this is the beginning of your healing, which is trust you know, yourself. What yeah, is is being, being, being able to understand the information, the sensations that are constantly trying to communicate to our brain something about our environment. Are we safe? Are we not safe? And the barometer right now is broken. You don't know what your gut or your intuition are saying, but you will. There is always a little voice, a little kind of sound telling you. And it's as easy as this, right? We've all had this experience. You walk into a room and... <gasps> There's an atmosphere. Well, how do you know that? It's that same thing. That's what gut instinct is. It's not woo-woo, it's science, it's neuroception. And in looking to break your own intergenerational trauma, please look, you know, you are worthy of help. You really, really are. All of us are. And this is stuff that's really, really tricky to do on our own because of how our brain is incredibly amazing at keeping us protected from feeling pain. Yeah. And it is going to be painful, but it's also going to give you I'm not even going to go there because I, you know, I've, I used to hear people talk about this and I, and I just never believed it. Um, but just trust that you were born on this earth for a purpose 
and the purpose wasn't pain. You know, our brain actually does is is predisposed for well-being. So if you're not in well-being and you're suffering, you know, with your mental health, you don't feel good about yourself. It's not how you were meant to be. Okay, you don't deserve that. You deserve so much more, and it's available to you. Yeah, um, you have to be just intentional about you know discovering the way. And and also want you to know if like me, you've spent thousands and thousands, lots of effort, passion, love, intention, and you've gone through, you know, this program, that program, this healing, that healing, and, and nothing's given you those long-term results that have made you feel like, I feel better. I've arrived. I found my path. It's not gone to waste. Everything is a compounding effect, right? It's not just one thing. And it's only by trying that you're going to discover the way Okay, if you sit still thinking, you know, there's no point, I'm never going to get better. I get that. I've been there. But I just want you to know that if it's possible for me and Callie, it's possible for you as well. We all have the right to live happy, all of us, you know, and we can only do that when we feel comfortable in our own skin. And and the way we get there is by doing somatic inner work, working in your nervous system, not talking about it, thinking about it, reading books. Yes, that's all helpful. But knowledge is cognitive. Experience is somatic. So you've got to experience it. And I think you don't really understand the words I'm saying right now once you get to start experiencing it. Because I, as I said, you know, I used to hear all these wonderful uh, people who had experienced it before me and just kind of understand it, but not at the same time. Does, does that make sense, Callie? Like that feeling of, yeah, you know, I know that abundance or wealth or f- being authentic is available. But not to everyone, and certainly not for me. I'm not good enough for this, you know. I don't deserve this. Um, those those feelings, those mm-hmm. those thoughts, those are the lies. I think what you said is so important: is finding that person to support you that you feel attuned with, that you feel safe with. Because again, a lot of these traumas have happened in relationship, and mm-hmm. so there's such power in healing it through relationship of finding that, and whether it be. You know, for me, I couldn't trust anyone except for one person, like my coach that I worked with. And it was just mm-hmm. one relationship, even though my family and my friends from before were loving and supportive, like I, my body just didn't feel safe around anyone. And so I had to just find that one person, somebody that's going to just really hold that space and validate your story and your experiences. That attunement, I think, is everything. And so even mm-hmm. if you've tried, there's all this research that says EMDR is, helps and this helps. And it's like, you know, the most important thing I think for any of these modalities to work is that therapeutic relationship that you feel safe with that person. It's really the bedrock, I think, of healing that attunement and that safe, secure relationship. I couldn't agree more that in itself, that therapeutic safe relationship is a corrective experience, probably the most important one, because if we don't feel safe, we can't heal. Bottom line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, is there anything else you want to share? I think um, I work with a lot of parents and as a parent of three myself, I would just say to you that if, you know, you're stuck in some sort of kind of not pleasant, dysfunctional kind of behaviors within your family as a parent yourself, I would really invite you to explore whether you want to start doing this work because you have an incredible power, which is to heal potentially up to the next seven generation if you can heal yourself and if you can come from a place of true self and self-leadership and parent that way 
you are the cycle breaker. You can be that person, you know, and in a way, without putting pressure on any parent here, but you have the responsibility and the opportunity. And if you're listening to this, now you know it's possible. Okay. And it's wonderful. It really is. It's given you your children, your children's children, their children, and, you know, for seven generations down. And I think, you know, in part, when you heal your wounds, not only do you kind of ripple down that healing down, but also like I think you mentioned earlier, Kali, it's almost like it has some form of healing backward as well. And it's just, you know, every single person I work with, I have so much respect, admiration, because I know firsthand how, you know, yeah, how tough it can be to go on this, on this journey. But I promise you it's so worth it. And, you know, it's it's our responsibility. Every single person that is on a healing journey, I have so much love for because as you heal, the world heals. The more healing people there are in the world doing this work internally, the better the world that you live in will be for yourself and the next generations to come. And, you know, what is better than that? What's more important than that? Thank you so much for coming on today. And how can people reach out to you? And you just started a podcast as well. How can people reach you or listen I have to your show? My podcast is called- yeah. Yeah. Come and listen over at Time to Unlearn if you like podcasts. And if you're here, you probably do. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Just look me up, Carla Shohet, S-H-O-H-E-T, or on Instagram. Same same name. I'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thank you so thank much, you. Carla. Okay, I, we all have to have another episode and dive deeper in. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this podcast has sparked some new insights, inspiration, or deeper questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. Your support helps us reach more people and continue to create meaningful content. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on our show, please reach out at CallieSorensen.com or on Instagram or YouTube at CallieSorensen. Remember, the journey of self-discovery and growth is ongoing. Until next time, may you continue to explore, learn, and grow. Please be advised that the opinions and views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the guests, hosts, and are not intended as professional advice. The content provided on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional counseling or medical treatment. The opinions shared on this podcast contain personal experiences and opinions that do not apply to everyone or every situation, and anything shared is not intended to malign any religion, belief, group, person, club, organization, individual, anyone, or anything.